Tales into the Aged Action Group, Haig for short, a housing group for older people run by older people. Present Raise the Roof! We advocate for secure, affordable and appropriate housing. So listen up on the second and fourth Wednesday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR 855 on your AM dial. That's right. This is Raise the Roof, the Housing for the Aged Action Group show here on 3CR. My name's Shane. I'm here with Fiona, and we're here to talk about the federal budget. What a fascinating topic we have for you this fortnight. Show us the money. Or no money, as the case may be. That seems to be the case. So today we're going to hear from Emma Greenhold, who is the CEO of National Shelter, and we're going to talk about the implications of some of the budget announcements last night. We might go straight into that interview. What do you reckon? Yeah, and then we can come back and tell them what we really think. Okay, let's do that. We're joined today by Emma Greenhold, who is the CEO of National Shelter. How are you going today, Emma? Yeah, I'm, I'm really well, thanks, Fiona, and thanks for inviting me. No worries. Yeah, thanks for coming in. So we, we mostly want to ask you about the budget, but before we get to that, um, do you want to just start by telling us a bit about what National Shelter is and, and what you do? Yep, absolutely. So National Shelter has been around since about 1975, um, and its focus is about representing the low, the, the housing interests of, of low-income Australians. Um we're tenure neutral, so our interest of housing, you know, is about private rental, social and affordable housing, and home ownership. Um, but it is very much on the, the focus of low income households, um, you know, and working towards you know housing that's affordable, appropriate, accessible, um, you know, all all of those elements that you know we need to make a, a healthy housing system. Uh, so we're we're not for profit. Uh, we don't receive government funding. Uh, so we're currently, um, you know, which we previously did, so we're currently um, funded by our members. Which is incredible work that you do, considering that. Um, today we had the federal budget handed down, or last night, by the Treasurer, and there were some announcements around um, the Commonwealth rent assistance and support for people on income support payments like JobSeeker. What was your impressions of, of those announcements? A bit mixed, to be honest. Um, you know, I think um, they're all positive steps. You know, I think, you know, we've, we haven't seen, you know, long, uh, sort of long-term increases or, you know, we sort of forget the fact that, you know, job seeker increased over COVID. But, you know, we haven't had enhancements to Commonwealth rent assistance, you know, for quite some time. Um you know, we have previously been, you know, the the um, improvements around um, income support. So, you know, sort of taking those together along with other costs of living such as around, you know, bulk billing, um, around, you know, energy rebates, about the, um, you know, the energy fund. So, I mean, if you're sort of looking at all of those things as a package for, for lower-income households, you know, it, it has that opportunity, you know, to make a difference. Um but when it comes to specifically for rent assistance, you know, National Shelter had been calling for an increase of rent assistance by 50%. So a 15% increase is, you know, it's definitely an enhancement, um, but it's not where, you know, we'd really like to be. I think given 
the scale of, you know, the rental prices that we have seen and how it has been impacting on, on low-income households. So so I feel it, it, it is probably playing, you know, catch-up really with, um, you know, the housing crisis and, and where it has been. Um, but, I mean, every, every dollar helps, but um, I think with the you know, the initiatives that were announced, you know, last night, it still means for every low-income household, they're still going to have to count every dollar. Mm. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about the energy um, implementation of those those announcements around improving housing? I know that climate change is a big issue for older people and the low quality of housing impacts on them in terms of mm. being able to heat and cool and, you know, keep themselves warm in winter and cool in summer. Yeah. I believe there were some announcements made around that. Could you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, I'll, I'll do the best that I can because there's not really a lot of detail, but... Um, but there's a billion dollars, um, you know, for it's a, a housing energy fund, um, and what that's about is is low interest loans for households, and I think it's particularly targeted towards you know lower income households to make their homes, uh, you know, more energy efficient. Um, you know, so if they want to be able to say you know double glazing or you know solar. Um, but also out of that $1 billion, there's um, $300 million that has been allocated uh, for, I think it's about 600,000 um, social homes. So to be, you know, making, um, you know, changes to them so so that they're much more energy efficient. Um, you know, and, and I think while we know that that's not going to do, you know, all social homes, um, it is definitely something, you know, that people have been calling out for such a long time mm. um, about, and particularly for how low-income households, particularly those in the private rental market, um, and we're seeing it, you know, in social housing as well, you know, are spending, you know, extraordinary amounts of money just to be able to, you know, um, heat or cool their homes um, or, or even just, you know, um, you know, the general day-to-day running of their homes, you know. Um, so on top of the high housing costs, you know, You've got high um, energy costs, so uh, so you know retrofitting um, existing homes and with a focus on low-income households, uh, I think to really contain energy bills, um, and I think also to make housing that is much more comfortable and much, um, I'd say, less harmful as well. So it, it, it's a more than welcome initiative. Yeah, for sure. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was if you could explain to us, particularly, I mean, ourselves, Shane and I also struggle with understanding how this works, and I'm sure our listeners are confused as well. Um, There's been an announcement last night that there will be an additional $2 billion, which goes to NIFIC, which is the National Finance Housing Investment Corporation, I think it's called. Um, And my understanding is that that's basically a bucket of money that can then be given to community housing providers as a loan to build more community housing, as well as including other things like build to rent and those sorts of housing affordability schemes. Would you be able to explain, I guess, in a way that will you be able to understand how exactly that yeah. works? Yeah. Well, what I'll do is I'll just sort of take a step back. So DFIC is the National Housing Finance and Investment Corporation, and um, and it was set up a, a few years ago to basically provide uh, sort of low lower cost loans 
to community housing providers. And one of the ways that that does is it, you know, seeks investment, um, you know, from, say, superannuation funds, for example. Um, so, you know, it puts out bonds and, um, you know, and community housing providers, when they're doing their finance, you know, they, they get financed you know, from a, a number of multiple sort of sources that sort of stacks it. And, and, and NIFIC is, you know, one of the, the ways that, you know, um, they get that finance. Um, and what NIFIC has is um, there's a liability cap. So it's what the government will um, sort of commit to covering if, if something goes wrong. So the liability cap is previously $5.5 billion. So it's not sort of providing... Um, you know, almost like $2 billion in sort of cash, so to speak. But, but by lifting that liability cap for NIFIC um, to $7.5 billion, it means that NIFIC can actually provide more finance to community housing providers to build more housing. Okay. Um, yeah. So is that a loan that the community housing provider then has to pay back to the government? Yeah, they uh, I mean, they, they don't take it back to the government. I mean, it goes back to, to NIFIC. So, you know, it, it depends how they've worked out their, their sort of, you know, financing to, to sort of build, I guess, the dwellings that they're provided. But, but you know, it is about having loans. But, but what's significant, it's having lower-cost loans where the interest is lower. So, you know, you're not having to deal with sort of the more um, commercial rates. Right. And it's quite different to a direct investment in public housing as people might hear those numbers and think, oh, wow, government's actually building public housing. But that's not really the case. It's more putting a cap or raising the cap of what can be loaned to community housing providers. That, that's right. But I think, um, and I've completely forgotten what the figure is, is that by lifting that cap, um, you know, for NIFIC and what it can lend down, you know, does result in tens and thousands, tens of thousands of dwellings that are able to be developed. Yeah. Yeah, for for social um, and affordable housing. And what what's National Shelter's dream in the budget? If, if, if you were to wake up this morning and, and a miracle would have happened and all the problems would have been solved <laughs> in the world, what what would that look like? Look, I think, I, I think the first thing uh, that would be an absolute dream would be that income support, you know, for low-income households, is at a rate that lifts people out of poverty. Mm. I think more than anything else, I think for anybody who works in this sector, um, having income support that is livable um, and, and lifts people out of poverty is the priority. So that would be the dream. I think the second thing would be, is, you know, having a, a social and affordable housing program where you're delivering... 25,000 to 30,000 homes a year, you know, so to be able to have the funding available to, you know, um, escalate development to be getting to that point where we're not just meeting the backlog, you know, but we're also then going to be able to meet, you know, the future demand. Those are the kinds of measures uh, that I would really like to see in a budget. Um, And then if you start, you know, putting social and affordable housing at scale, um, you know, it, it's likely to then create less of a call, for example, on rent assistance because, you know, people will not need to be living in unaffordable private rental when there is, you know, social and affordable housing available uh, for people who need it. Yeah. 
one of the things I did want to ask you about was the the impact on older women of these announcements. For the first time, we saw in the women's budget, um, or the fact that there is a women's budget for a start, but also that there was specific mention of some of the challenges for older women. Um, there was recognition of the lifetime of lower wages and time out of the workforce for caring responsibilities, the number of older people that are caring for grandkids, which means they can't enter the workforce. And they actually lowered the the subsidy for older people down to 55 from 60 mm. for people on JobSeeker, recognising that that's the largest cohort of people on JobSeeker. Um, you and I and a member of the Housing Older Women movement met with the Women's Economic Task Force at some point and we talked about this. Do you think those sorts of conversations are finally filtering through to, to government and finally having a bit of an impact on decision makers? I think every conversation that's had, so, you know, with yourself um, and Maggie, you know, being in in that meeting, I think I think it all helps. And I, I think what I, I reflect on is, um, you know, seeing um, the single parents, um, you know, peak body in relation to, you know, the single parenting payments you know, when it was reduced back from 16 to, to eight years, you mm. know, to the cutoff and now bringing it back to 14, you know, that's been the result of, you know, multiple conversations, you know, and multiple, um, you know, people who are, are living that experience um, engaging with government. So, you know, the, the more conversations that are, that are had and the pressure that's, you know, being brought to there has been incredibly useful. And, you know, I think... Um, that conversation, you know, that we've had is one of many that's added that pressure uh, to see a much more, you know, it is, it's a very gendered budget, um, you know, acknowledging, you know, the disadvantage for women and, and particularly for older women. Um, and that's come about, you know, from, from persistent advocacy. Yeah, it's great. Um, is there anything else that you would like to see apart from investment in, in social and affordable housing and lifting the income support payments? Do you have views or does National Shelter have any views on things like Airbnb and short-term rentals or um, things like, um, I don't know, negative gearing and and, yeah. and empty all the empty houses? We often get questions about yeah. that, but we, we don't necessarily have a strong position on them. I was wondering what, what your yeah. views were. Yeah, and I'm glad you reminded me because I completely forgot that, you know, tax reform in relation to negative gearing and capital gains tax, you know, is one of those elements that we would really, uh, you know, would be one of our um, unicorn items, you know, mm. in, in a budget, um, you know, in terms of recalibrating the way that we see housing in this country from not just being wealth creation but back to actually, you know, being a home. Um one one of the other elements of the the budget that you know gets me excited because I'm a, a town planner in my background, but but also too when we talk about housing is you know the government returning to a national urban policy and a state of the cities report. So you know having those sort of really big conversations about how um, our cities function, you know because housing doesn't just live in its own own vacuum. Um, you know so so when it comes to things like that. Um, you know, out of National Cabinet, for example, recently the planning ministers have got to uh, go back in October this year um, for the state and territory planning ministers about planning reform. So, you know, we would like to see that planning reform piece absolutely include inclusion rezoning, um, you know, to be able to mandate the delivery of social 
and affordable housing. We'd also like to see um, that planning reform include um, short-term rental accommodation because it is quite, you know, quite a specific land use um, item. Um, you know, Airbnbs are, are a particular particular issue impacting on the private rental market. So um, in terms of, you know, how those properties were, are used, what they're taking away from the private rental market, you know, seeing it specifically in um, Hobart, you know, with the work that Peter Fibbs did for Shelter Tasmania down there. So, so we have a view that, you know, as much as you can, um, you know, holiday homes will always exist, but, but how do you ensure that, you know, it is not moving the dial in such a way that it's absolutely detracting, you know, and, and shifting um, housing out of the, the private rental market? Um, the other thing, too, is um, is around the rental reform piece. So with National Cabinet asking the housing ministers, um, you know, to be looking at rental reform, you know, this to me is much more critical in some ways than um, Commonwealth rent assistance because, you know, how do you regulate rent increases uh, in the states and territories? Um is something that not doesn't just impact on low-income households, but you know moderate-income households as well that are you know struggling with seeing such significant rent increases. So, so we would really like to see the housing ministers come back to national cabinet, you know, in October um, with rental reform that puts tenants, you know, at the centre uh, that makes you know a, a meaningful contribution to you know, what in, uh, about rent increases and security of tenure, um, as well as some other, other, measure, um, other measures. Yeah, and even having some uniform standards across the country around, you know, evictions and minimum standards and um, mm. all of that would be fantastic. So, yeah, yeah, a bit of an opportunity there perhaps for listeners to get involved and speak to their state housing ministers ahead of that meeting in October, perhaps? Oh, absolutely. I think speaking to your state housing ministers now, um, because it, it is a process that they'll be going through um, in terms of, you know, it, you know, it'll be a, it's a piece of work for the housing ministers and the housing department. So I'd really encourage listeners to be engaging with their housing ministers about rental reform now um, and what they would like to be seeing. Um, you know, taking uh, to be taken back to the National Cabinet. We're still seeking some clarification uh, from Minister Collins' office about what that process is and how we engage with it. Uh, but we're also talking with um, Better Renting and um, the National Association of Tenant Organisations about how we can be providing, um, you know, in, in the absence um, at the moment, be providing input, um, you know, into to that process to say what do we think uh, you know, uh, uh, best practice, you know, uh, rental regulation looks like across Australia. Yeah, that's great. I might just ask you one last question while I have you, Emma, sure. if that's okay. I noticed that there's a, been a new national peak body for Aboriginal housing and homelessness. Do, would, do you know much about that? Would you be able to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Association on NAPSIHA, um you know, it's been quite a few years of work to be uh, getting it to this point, but it is funded, um, and it's undertaking some specific work um, around closing around closing the gap. Um, you know, we've been highly supportive of it. I, I think it's critical in terms of 
you know, Aboriginal-controlled organisations and, um, you know, self-determination, that, you know, we, we can speak sort of to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander housing issues, but, um, but you know, it, it's really important that, um, you know, they also, that they speak to themselves, speak for themselves about their own issues and we stand behind them and support them in the work that they're doing. So, so they are funded and they're currently going through and developing their, their full complement of staff and have opened an office and it, it's really exciting and, um, you know, I'm really excited to be working, you know, and supporting them um, in the work that they do. And is that a mixture of housing providers and homelessness services or is it, or is it mainly housing providers? What's the makeup of that? Look, I think uh, it's a mixture of community housing providers. There's also, um, you know, Aboriginal sort of controlled communities um, are involved in there as well. So, um, you know, it, it, it sort of goes, I guess, you know, a sort of a wide remit, um, you know, around housing um, organisations um, or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander housing organisations, you know, that are involved in housing. So it might be CHPs, you know, it could be land councils um, or it could be, you know, other other organisations. That's great. Well, thank, thank you. So, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know? It's really great to have you on today, Emma, because you've got such a wealth of knowledge and experience so it's fantastic to have you on is there any last thing that you'd like to let our listeners know before we let you go oh just that um you know the the advocacy is not over even with you know the if and when the housing australia um you know future fund passes through the senate you know that um there's still a lot of work to do but I think the, the, the signs are incredibly positive and, um, you know, it takes conversations from everybody, um, you know, with government, with politicians, um, you know, to be getting the success that we have. Well done and thank you so much for all your work in raising the issue as you do. Um, that was Emma from National Shelter and we'll go to some messages now. Thank you very much. Thank you. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. The Common Social Change Library is an online collection of educational resources for those campaigning for social change. It collects, curates and distributes the key lessons and resources of progressive movements around Australia and across the globe. The library includes over 500 resources covering campaign strategy, community organising, activist history, digital campaigning, diversity and inclusion, and much, much more. It's free to access the library, so check out the collection at www.commonslibrary.org. Common Social Change Library is a 3CR supporter.
Uh, you're listening to Raise the Roof on 3CR, the Housing for the Age Action Group show on 8.55am. Uh, we've just had a little bit of a negotiation in the studio, so uh, you are going to hear some swear words in the next few minutes, which we normally try not to do. Um, but I've agreed I won't say fuck the ALP, but I am allowed to say fuck the class trader Anthony Albanese. Is that right, Fiona? <laughs> Listen, Shane, I, the, far be it from me to censor you. Yeah, that's right. So just unbelievably disappointing that the ALP has totally failed to meaningfully increase uh, job seeker payments in particular. Um, really disappointed by that. It, it is like people are going to die. That's the reality of the decision that the government's made. Um, it, it just absolutely devastating uh, failure on the part of the Labor Party. You know, Anthony Albanese loves to wave around his dead pensioner mother talking about, uh, you know, how hard he had it go- coming up, uh, but just absolutely no consideration for uh, people on benefits now. Um, really, really disappointing. The... I guess for me, the thing that is the most stark is that they can spend $30 million a day for the next 30 years on submarines, but they think that building public housing and raising the rate is too expensive. Stage three tax cuts, handouts to fossil fuel companies, every too much money for the wrong things, no money for the things that we need. Yeah. And 15% increase in the Commonwealth rent assistance is really just a band-aid thing. And most of it for community housing tenants, it doesn't go to the tenants either. It, it, it all goes to landlords. Yeah. I'm so sus on community rent, sorry, Commonwealth rent assistance. Like it, it's, it's people talk subsidy. about it like it's targeted to the poor, but really a hundred percent of that money ends up in landlord mm, pockets. Yep. So along with your negative gearing and your you know, capital gains tax discounts, like all the benefits of being a landlord, plus you you, you got your extra investment properties. The the Commonwealth rent assistance is going into your pockets. They are the worst welfare cheats in this country are the fucking landlords who are pocketing that money. Yeah, yeah. And no investment in public housing again. Which um, is the one thing that would actually like save money on on rent assistance. Yeah. Stop, because- stop shoveling it into landlords' pockets while they jack up the rents uh, unsustainably. What do you think about the media coverage of the rent increases? Do you think that's an incentive for rent increases? Do you think the more that landlords hear about it, the more it gives them license to do it? No, I don't think that's true. I mean, I think that real estate agents are scumbags. Like, we know that that's true. And that they're putting up, they, they've consistently throughout human history put up rent as much as they possibly can. And like a high rate of inflation means that they have more excuse to do that. You know, when we were talking to the government about, you know, making submissions to the Residential Tenancies Act reforms that went through a few years ago. Um, I've said this before on the show, but the government was willing to at least discuss quite radical changes and in some senses made some quite radical changes. But the one thing that they were really clear was absolutely off the table and would not be discussed was rent control because they think that it's important that the market sets the rent. But that, that's just brutal and devastating for people and for the housing system as a whole. Mm. Uh, once like inflation is out of control as it is now, if you're saying rent can only go up to, to what the market will support and the market is killing people, that then your rent increase regulation system is going to be killing people. Yeah. Um, it, it's When can we start talking about rent caps, do you think, without this is possible? Is this just the unicorn? Well, we just need public housing. That, 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 that is the solution that is like well-established, well-documented, uh, but it is hated by everyone uh, in government for... Bizarre reasons. Ideological reasons, yeah. There was another thing you wanted to talk about, Shane, on a state level. 
Well, do you want to talk about aged care first? Oh, were... yeah. Okay. Um, I did want to mention, we might run out of time for the other bit, but I did want to quickly mention before we finish up that there has been some announcements around aged care. So um, as listeners will know, we um, have been doing lots of work under the new Care Finder program, to, which used to be the Assistance with Care and Housing program, to try and link people in with services, including housing and aged care services. And what we're consistently finding is that there are no services. It's really, really difficult. There's long, long wait lists for anyone to get any home care packages. There's a really massive problem in the workforce. So there's been some announcements around increasing the um, the pay rates of aged care workers by 15% um, on top of any sort of you know national wage increases to try and attract people to the sector. There's some stuff around training and skills development, which will hopefully increase the workforce. And there's some announcement of new packages as well. And it can't come soon enough because we have lots of people that are really struggling while waiting for basically a privatised industry to pick them up, um, whereas it used to be delivered by local government and, and not-for-profits. Often now it's been delivered by um, private providers who are clearly concerned about the implication of wage increases on their bottom line when really they should be concerned about the lack of a decent service for older people in need. Right. So I reckon we are nearly out of time, so mm. we better give out some contact numbers. The, uh, if you want to get in touch with HAG, talk about some campaigning stuff. It you know, could be around income support, could be around building public housing, uh, whatever you want to get in touch about. Best number is 96547389. That's 96547389. Or if you're an older Victorian with a housing issue and you want to talk to someone about it, that's 1300 765 178. It's 1300 765 178. The, we're almost out of time, Fiona. We're out of time, yeah. We're going to go so to a song. Going to go to a song. Absolutely no thematic relevance to anything we've been talking about today. This is Crass with Do They Owe Us a Living. Grammarly.